0: hi I'm Blake Gilman the vice president director of post-acute care services at LCS you're listening to the healthcare Highwire thank you for listening to this episode we hope you enjoy it this is a healthcare highwire presentation this is the second part of our podcast series on how to mitigate the industry top MDS Coding Denial Risk Areas. I am Michelle Kramer, Director of Health and Wellness Programming, and I am joined today by Natalie Moore, MDS Specialist. Welcome, Natalie. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for having me today. Today, we will be continuing our discussion on how to mitigate the industry top MDS coding denial risks. Within the post-acute care industry, we are now aware of high-risk denial areas of the MDS. We will be discussing recommendations for coding and documentation requirements in regards to IV feedings and isolation. So Natalie, we are seeing denials in areas that include especially IV feeding and isolation coding and documentation. Would you begin by describing what we need to code and document to support IV
1: feedings? Yeah, I'd be happy to, as this is a complicated area to code. So I'd just like to begin by breaking down the definition of IV feeding. For the RAI, a parenteral or IV feeding is any introduction of a nutritive substance into the body by means other than the intestinal tract, for example, subcutaneously or intravenously. Examples of fluids that may be captured in Section K 0510, the parenteral or IV feedings, are IV feedings or hyperalimentation, including TPN, any IV fluids running at keep vein open, IV fluids contained in the IV piggy box, and then hypodermoclysis and subcutaneous ports in hydration therapy. So any of those fluids can be coded in Section K if they were needed to prevent or treat dehydration, or if those additional fluids were specifically needed for nutrition. The need for intervention must be clinically indicated, and the supportive documentation should be provided in the medical record. Now, this is an area of the MDS where these nutritional approaches are captured both while not a resident and while as a resident. With the implementation of PDPM, we're now reimbursed for either status, which prompted providers to move the assessment reference date or ARD to capture those parenteral or IV fluids while in the hospital. Now, this is a completely acceptable practice, but many times we don't have the supportive documentation or we capture fluids that should not have been coded. So here are some examples of fluids that should not be coded. IV medications, we know we code those in section O. IV fluids used to reconstitute or dilute medications for IV administration. Any IV fluids administered as part of an operative or diagnostic procedure or recovery room stay. Those IV fluids administered solely as flushes, and then the parenteral and IV fluid administered in conjunction with chemotherapy or dialysis.
0: What are we looking for within the documentation to support this coding of the IV feedings?
1: So we're looking for supportive documentation that reflects the need for additional fluid intake, specifically addressing a nutrition or hydration need. This supportive documentation should be noticed in the resident's medical record. So when coding fluids given in the hospital, I recommend attaching the hospital supportive documentation to your electronic health record for that specific resident. The supportive documentation needed from the hospital would be their MAR. This is going to provide you proof the fluids were administered. And then in addition, we need to support those fluids were administered for that hydration or nutritional need, and these can be found in the hospital H&P, progress notes or a diagnostic list. One more thing that we tend to bypass is that quite literally everything we're reimbursed for requires a care plan. So I highly recommend placing that risk for dehydration or malnutrition in your baseline care plan and then reevaluating that risk in the CA, and then making the determination as to whether you'll proceed to the comprehensive care plan. This is wonderful information to remember. So Natalie, do you have any
0: suggestions about how to take credit, code, and document for isolation as well. This has been a troublesome area, especially due to this COVID-19
1: pandemic. Absolutely. So let's begin when it's appropriate to code single room isolation. Per the RAI, it's only when all of the four conditions are met. So first and foremost, we need the MD diagnosis and or a positive test of an active infection with highly transmissible pathogen that has been acquired by physical contact or airborne or droplet transmission. So if your resident does not meet this criterion, you just stop here. Your resident does not qualify. You may not code isolation in section O of the MDS. Now, secondly, we need precautions that are over and above standard precautions. That is transmission-based precautions like contact droplet and or airborne must be in effect. And then thirdly, the resident must remain in the room alone and cannot have a roommate. And finally, the RAI reiterates resident must remain in room, and then they added all additional services must be brought to the resident, for example, therapy, activities, dining, etc.
0: I agree. This is a very complicated area to document on. Natalie, do you have any recommendations on how we need to document on isolation to take credit for it and support that coding?
1: Of course. So all four criteria must be documented somewhere in the medical record at least one day during that 14-day look-back period. So we need documentation or diagnosis of that test result, the need for transmission-based precautions with strict isolation, the resident remained in a room alone without a roommate, and that all services were brought to the room. Now, this does not include standard precautions, history of infectious diseases, any urinary tract infections, encapsulated pneumonias, wound infections, and again, cohorting with a roommate. So because the resident has to remain in their room, we must be cognizant of how we code Section G on the MDS, specifically walking in the corridor and locomotion on and off the unit. These items should be coded as 8-8, did not occur on their CNA-ADL records on the days that the resident remained in the room on strict isolation. Also be sure to provide an ICD-10 code for that highly transmissible pathogen in I-8000. And then remember the need for isolation must be care planned. So include it on your baseline and comprehensive if still active. And then finally, do not code isolation in situations where your community is quarantining new admissions for those first 14 days related to the current public health emergency if they do not meet those four criteria. Remember, the first criterion is to have an active infection with highly transmissible pathogens that have been acquired by physical contact or airborne or droplet transmission.
0: I know that we have received multiple questions regarding residents who frequently go out to dialysis and if they meet that isolation requirement.
1: So the RII manual states that if a community transports a resident who meets the single room criteria to another healthcare setting to receive medically needed services such as dialysis, chemotherapy, blood transfusions, et cetera, as long as the CDC guidelines for transports of residents with communicable diseases is followed, you may still code for the single room isolation in section O since that is still being maintained while the resident is in your community. And in this case, you would code section G appropriately. And in the event of an ADR or a RAC audit, just remember to quote this from the RAI and provide proof that the resident went out to dialysis, but remained in the room on all the other days.
0: Thank you so much, Natalie, on all of these important examples for IV feeding and isolation.
1: Yeah, I know these areas are challenging for coding and documentation, but I hope that everyone was able to gain some insight on how to minimize denials regarding IV feedings and isolation. Thank you,
0: Natalie. You really provided great information. This has been a Healthcare Highwire presentation. Until next time.
1: Thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.